0: hello everyone and we're back with another episode of feeding curiosity and today i'm gonna let joe actually take it off because this is his brainchild dude it's annihilation so we saw spoiler alert oh yeah let's Q- do let's do
1: introduction to it yes let's talk non-spoilers Brain, basic non-spoilers. thoughts on it we can give it a rating and then we can move on to spoilercast spoiler cast because then people that you know
0: still want to listen along
1: yeah you can get we'll be explicit about when we go spoiler yes um i like that So when did we see it yesterday, two days ago? Monday. So yeah, two days ago. So we went and saw Annihilation, which if you don't know, that's Alex Garland's new film. And Alex Garland gained some popularity in part for being a screenwriter for 28 Days Later, but also for his directorial debut, which was Ex Machina. And actually, won a Oscar for best special effects. Yes, the movie, so. for the robotics stuff in there. Yeah, which looked fantastic. The whole movie was beautiful.
0: I would highly recommend watching that movie, at the very least, since it's already out in DVD and everything like that. Because it was amazing.
1: Yeah, really good movie. This is which is based on a book by. Do you remember the author's name? I don't know. But based on a book, and it's that same kind of vein which that he's used to, which is something like. Sci-fi thriller. I'm calling Uh, it like a psych thriller almost. It's unnerving. It's just a little off. Yeah,
0: the entire movie has an edge to it. Yeah, there's a little Trouble in Paradise feel. And it's almost dreamlike, too. Where it feels very... It has that surreal feeling throughout most of it. Which is partly how they do a lot of the sound design... And... The camera work. Yes. I noticed about the camera work, too, in, in itself, was very close around people's faces. So it made... that kind of felt claustrophobic for, like, when they were having conversations. Yeah. I'm
1: trying to remember if that's the way that it was in Ex Machina, but I'm not. It's really good camera work is what it comes down to. It, like, really... Especially in this movie. In Ex Machina was beautiful, too, but this was also very like slow camera movements mm-hmm. deliberate almost reminds me of David Fincher but it feels less methodical and more surreal
0: yes definitely it felt less planned out because of this the structure of the story because it
1: it doesn't feel chaotic it's not I don't think in underneath the action scenes it ever got to a point where it was like I don't think there was any handheld camera on that
0: movie no i don't do think there's no camera shaking really
1: yeah which i like it feels clean yeah
0: so just to go backtrack real quick so we get all our facts straight the book series so this is actually a three-part book series annihilation is the first part of the book it was it's the novel by jeff vandermeer and it was written in 2014 or at least released so there was that i so for full disclosure i actually listened to the audiobook version of the book prior to seeing this movie and i gotta say the movie version of this does it amazing justice because the story itself is written in such a sense that you it feels dreamlike like you were saying and and it's very in-depth with the visuals because of just how the story kind of unfolds there's a lot of details that it's hard to convey the visuals in words. I would say, like, I, I, do you understand what it's I would say? It's
1: super, super symbolic. is yes. one thing you need to note, without going to spoilers yet. Everything is very deliberate, which goes in hand in hand with the camera work. But all the imagery is with purpose. It's yeah, all there it's to display like, something specific.
0: Yeah, so like everything they show you, they give you just enough to kind of tease out little details to put another piece in front of you, like a breadcrumb trail almost. Yeah,
1: it hints to it. It hints to things about the nature of what they're dealing with just through the imagery, which we should mention a basic plot summary. Yes, Is that, what's her first name? Oh, I don't remember the characters' names. This is where, I'm always bad with names (laughs) and it doesn't change when I talk about movies. She goes, she's a former, uh, she's a biologist. She's a biologist who used to be in the military. Is a researcher at Johns Hopkins that studies cancer. A doctor. So she's looking at cancer and her husband has been missing, assumed dead for a year. She tried to find out information about him and he was special operations and some covert stuff so she assumed he was dead and just couldn't get any info. Then he shows up early. This is no spoiler. This is like...
0: Within the first 15 minutes of the...
1: Yeah, it doesn't take long. So he shows up and then she gets dragged into the mission <laughs> that he was on. And Lena then discovers the is presented with this thing called the shimmer is what they're just calling it because that's what it looks like. It looks like it's shimmering yes. and it's this force field that's expanding outward and every team that's gone into it has disappeared over the last like three years. So she volunteers to go in with a group of people and then they experience a bunch of crazy shit.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And basically the entire story revolves around what happens inside of this. And in overarching terms, this area is called area X. And I guess it would say in general, it defies the natural rules of what we understand Biology, I guess, is a good way of just capstoring it. I don't um, want to say too much. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to try to avoid spoilers. Which let's is just say semantics. it's messing shit up a little bit. Things yeah. are getting confusing. Things are weirder, and for someone trained in biology like the main character, she's at odds basically, yeah. and not really sure how to explain it, especially as a cancer researcher. So that might have gave away a little bit too much. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so she goes in this thing and experiences stuff. So basically, just to sum up a little bit of what I think about it, is that one, Alex Garland is definitely now on my list. Him and Christopher Nolan are like the only two directors on my list who I will watch their movie regardless of anything. Yeah. I come out with a movie, I'm going to watch it. And part of the reason that I'm going to watch Alex Garland stuff is one, I really like science fiction. <laughs> I love the thriller, unnerving under I love thrillers. That Yeah, it's the psychological.
0: Like when you put a story in front of you and you're given bits and pieces of it and you're trying to put it together before the story concludes to see if you understand it, but also at the same time it, it concludes and it leaves more questions than answers. Yeah, allow you to go even deeper into a story. It's very much at odds of what the mainstream, I would say, cinematic or even storytelling is right now. Where it's definitely different than what's going on in science fiction. It's of <laughs> Part of what, would... what I
1: like about this is it's not overt. And yes. he, he wasn't overt in in Ex Machina either. Like he was, and it, he would just
0: open ended too for Ex Machina even.
1: Yeah, like he didn't. There was no oh, that's why the character is doing what they're doing. It's all very, you you have to pay attention. And it's, in some sense, I think it's more real because people don't just put on display what they really think. In in part because a lot of the times people don't actually know what they think. They're just operating.
0: So that actually brings us to another point. The characters too, like how they chose to portray the characters of a story didn't feel like caricatures of some sort of ideal. Because if you think about a lot of sci-fi, like if you, for an easy Hello Hanging Fruit example, Star Wars, a lot of characters have an archetypal, like that sci-fantasy role. They're not, there's not a lot of gray. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I don't know if I agree. I feel like the characters just felt more like grounded in this story where they, you can feel like the history of some of the characters. I actually think
1: that my biggest complaint about the movie is that the characters aren't really developed. Yeah, besides the main character. Generally. Yeah, that's the only character that actually matters. Yeah. So I don't think I would say that these are like any real deep representation of much at all. That all that really happens is a journey within or for the main character. And that everybody else is whatever. Secondary to that. Yeah, I can see it. And Star Wars is not so much. And maybe it's in part because Star Wars can develop characters over three. Versus this is... Not that Star Wars is ever really... Even the original ones were never really that deep.
0: No, they didn't really have deep character development in general. It was, yeah. it was stuff that was added later on that made... But it was also really fundamentally it's a different genre. Yeah, realistically. Because it's a thriller versus a yeah, I mean, traditional sci-fi
1: no, it's more like it's an action movie. Yeah. Like action adventure for fun. Yeah. Versus like art house... Horror thriller. Surrealist work. Yeah. And that uh, you yeah, just okay. get different things from So
0: that. like just con- sticking with the Star Wars theme, is Star Wars is a journey in, in itself versus this is a different kind of journey completely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I guess it's... They're just... Fundamentally
0: different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're trying to accomplish completely different things. Yeah, like you can't it's hard to, Star I'm Wars to think, is fun. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some sort of example that's similar to this kind of movie, but there's really not many.
1: Yeah, I don't know much that touches on something like this. <laughs> that's one that's a plus. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like now that, that we're this thinking. This ends like, up <laughs> being a very unique visual, especially visual oh, 100%. experience.
0: And it didn't feel like the effects used were too over dramatic except toward the end, which we'll get into later when we enter. Yeah, the but even that isn't—it's not too
1: on the nose.
0: No, it was still weird, though. It's fucking weird. Yeah, but, <laughs> like but it it it's not so—it's not obnoxious. I wouldn't call it obnoxious, but it was just more of like yeah. we. we this will make sense later.
1: It's certainly record. not jar, draw jarring. Yeah, me. it's not like seeing leia's cg face at the end of rogue one rogue one yes where you're like that's cg like clearly but it's not so jarring as that it's just a part of the whole thing and maybe it's because the whole movie experience is so bizarre that you just don't care (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) so really that's what you're gonna complain about (laughs) yeah i can see that is there anything else we can talk about generally visuals are great i'll try to give a sum up of my opinion
1: yeah visuals are great plots interesting but characters are underdeveloped and that's the big thing i highly recommend it but with the caveat that really the only way you can understand the plot is if you look at it from a psychoanalytic perspective
0: Yes, which will go it will go e- even deeper into shortly. Yeah, I can't really talk about it without spoiling it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. without like, spoiling the, the whole thing, and that's why we actually want to do this podcast because I think this it shows. I think too for this is like a movie fan's movie almost, where it's not just a cheap.
1: It's definitely a movie fan movie, but it's also. A creative thinker movie, yeah,
0: (laughs) for sure. So if you have a friend
1: who's like, "Whoa, man!" (laughs) If you got like this kind of stereotypical like engineering type that doesn't really that just thinks inside the box and that's it,
0: yeah. If you're probably not going to fucking like, if you're hyper analytical, (laughs) you're not going to really find. So
1: I would say that this complexity of the plot and it being hard to understand is actually something that enriches it. Mm-hmm. because of the themes that they're doing and how complicated they are. But I understand why someone would
0: disagree. Find, find a way to
1: <laughs> say dis- Would be like, this is a terrible movie.
0: Because it could be too much for somebody.
1: Yeah, a bunch of like Rotten Tomatoes stuff after we saw the yeah. movie. And it was one or the other. You either loved it or hated it.
0: I feel like that's a good thing, though. If you can't divide the middle, then there's really not... It didn't land
1: lukewarm with anybody. Right, yeah.
0: If you love it or hate it, that's better than being like, eh, it was all right. That's like choosing 7 out of 10.
1: Yeah, it has a 6 or something on Rotten Tomatoes. still pretty
0: good. Yeah, Metacritic gives it an 81 right now, which is pretty good for... So it's a good movie.
1: I like it. A lot of people like it. Mm Mm-hmm. So... If you like the visuals, if you are interested in that kind of creative surrealism. If you liked Ex Machina, it's probably. If you one liked of the Ex best. Machina, <laughs> then I'd say go see it. If I had to give it a rating, I'd give it like, like a 3.8 out of 5, maybe a 4. But. That seems reasonable. You know what I mean? It's not that I really enjoyed the movie. It's just maybe it's a little too confusing at points. There are points. Yeah,
0: it does feel a little disjointed at times. Where it's, it's a like,
1: little too ambiguous, and the characters are a little too underdeveloped. Yeah, because so they just show up, and it makes it a little bit yeah. rough. but other than that, yeah. and the sound design is fucking phenomenal. Oh, it's amazing.
0: Combining that with the visual cues and things like that, yeah, it's, it's amazing.
1: If you, like, God forbid, I was thinking about this while it was happening. I was like, if somebody watched this inebriated... <laughs> like not sober, they're going to have a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> there are points that it's straight out of a horror show. And it's, whoa. Yes, it is.
0: So I think with that.
1: What's your rating?
0: My rating? I would say probably about a four for me or so. Yeah. Comparing it to the book, since I went in with prior knowledge, I think the this story was fleshed out better than certain parts of the book. Because in the book, there was like some sort of mention of this creature and they called it the slime and things. And it was... Really ambiguous, and you really didn't The know. slime. Yeah, I forget exactly. It's like, so
1: does it just look like slime? Or?
0: Yeah, it was weird. So we can compare that to the thing later on, but yeah. So comparing it to the book, and since it is somewhat surreal, like we continue to say, you get a better sense of what the story is trying to convey, seeing it in front of you rather than trying to interpret it with words when you're already given vague details as it is yeah so yeah I would still say a 4 because it, it it's definitely not one of those oh the book is so much better type movies
1: yeah this is probably the point where if you don't want to hear spoilers
2: turn away now
1: Yeah, go watch the movie because it's worth it
0: and then pick back up
1: and then come back
0: <laughs> put this on pause on your phone go tell your friends that we need to go see the movie right now
1: Go watch it. (laughs) Listen to this while you're on the treadmill at the gym or whatever, (laughs) going to work. Have a nice drive. Pay attention, but
0: you know. Or if you don't care, continue on and maybe you'll be even more inclined to see the movie after we talk about. I might go see the psycho psycho thriller that this movie is. I'm trying to think where to start because it is.
1: A roller coaster. (laughs) Yeah, it's one giant analogy for how to properly deal with I think it's death is what they're really getting at. Though it might be like symbolic death more than just yeah. literal
0: death. It's more of like symbolic death in the part of like internal parts of you.
1: Yeah, it's like what how to let things die in your past. And like her guilt for cheating on her husband, I think, is and maybe letting go of their relationship in a sense might be i think that might be part of it It, that's this is where i think the ambiguity was too much was that it should have been a little more clear because it i think that it's her letting go of their relationship
0: yeah so that's one of the things that so in the book you get a little bit more details on what was happening in their normal lives Mm -hmm. Versus in so in the story, was their marriage failing in the book? Yeah, that's what I was thinking after watching the movie. That I'm like, I think that's what they're going. Like they for. were like they were drifting apart. In so in the book, you get more about they were drifting, and she was more of a loner type, and was like the hyper analytical and more into her biology stuff than into other people. And yeah. In one of the scenes, you see them reading books together, but apart, like they're spending time together, but not really. Parallel play is what it's called. Is that really in psych? For okay. kids. It's where
1: they're playing either the same... They're doing the similar things or even different things, but they're with each other, but they don't really interact at all.
0: Huh. Is that a negative, positive? No. You know, it's just a thing? It's neither. It just is. It's just a thing? Just, a I'm just thing. curious.
1: <laughs> just a type of play.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things that you get a better sense of it from the book, especially. And you don't even like really know that this is going on until about probably midway through the movie, through... These like disjointed dream sequences, which as Joe was saying, is probably what they're trying to show is guilt.
1: Yeah, and it's and I think that might be why it ends the way that it does, with her changed and him changed, and then them hugging it out.
0: Yeah, with the first like real emotion that they've Like they don't like kiss romantically and
1: happy days. They like just hug. I think that's her coming to peace with him and like them being done like they've made their peace
0: yeah they've reconciled like she's confronted the
1: truth of that relationship Mm -hmm. and in her like her I think that it's almost like she knew that she wanted it to end and she needed to confront that and that's like that part of herself is what she needed to address yeah it fits it does fit like For those to clarify, for those that don't know, so she goes, she does something that's very like union archetypal, which is like the whole ending scene is that it's really arrives at the lighthouse and there's a big dark hole that she has to go down into to face a thing that becomes herself. And then she faces herself and then lets it die. Yes. And burns it away. It's the Deadwood analogy of like.
0: It's very much if they find the darkest part of yourself, confront it and kill it or let it go. Yeah. And I think that
1: what's happening inside the Shimmer is a reflection of the the psyche of the individuals that enter it.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a good point, too, to talk about the other people. As we mentioned, there's four other people with them and they all have their own personalities slash grievances uh, with the world
1: there are reasons for going in there yeah, and that's it's your, all reasons to do with dying or an acceptance of dying or letting, sense, go, or letting go willingness so to like, confront dying because all of them have in a sense nothing to quite live for because they know that this is a suicide mission so they sign up for it anyway yeah so it's like everybody there has some baggage that they're holding on to like one girl is borderline suicidal cuts herself Though it's mentioned that she does it to feel more alive. Oh, really? They said that? Yeah, so I almost hmm. wonder if she isn't, she's really challenging herself. She's trying to find something that she, I don't really, hers is tough. They're all fucking, this is another, This they're hard to pick apart. What
0: exactly? Because there's not much to pick apart.
1: Yeah, that's part of... If they were more developed characters, I think this would be easier. But...
0: Yeah. And then... Other character is a psychologist who had cancer.
1: Yeah, one the psychologist had cancer who was terminally ill and was going to die. Lena was going in because her husband got out and she said that she owed him. And she wanted to figure this out, Yeah, basically. The girl that cuts herself and was probably there in part to feel more alive but was like suicidal almost so i almost wonder if she her death disappearance whatever is a resigning to just resigning just i think
0: she yeah she just succumbed just gave in just yep gave in was done just like cool i'm okay with this now just done which we can explain more later the one girl is
1: distraught and goes crazy She's a little crazy, anyway.
0: What did we say? We talked about this after the right after the movie. We said it was questioning. It was like it was like questioning what was real and not being not believing yourself, like the spiraling. That's how she dies. Right, that's yeah. how she. That's why. That's what led me to think that it's a reflection of the
1: psyche. But let me put that off to the side for a second so okay. that we can get through the characters because there's one left, which is the woman who She's had a, a daughter die. Yes, there it was. And she seems to be there because she just doesn't give a shit anymore.
0: She doesn't have anything else to hold on to. Yeah, she's just kind of done. Kind of similar to the psychologist with the cancer. The
1: psychologist is inevitably going to die and this woman could continue going on living, but doesn't see a point in some sense, which is kind of the nihilistic worldview. Yeah, I wonder why it is that she's well, I think the reason she might be the first to die is because she's the most ready to.
0: That's an interesting concept. Cause she's done. She right. Yeah. It. She's
1: the most given up of all of them. So <laughs> she's like, you have
0: nothing to when you have nothing to fight for. What you don't you don't need to, you don't have the reason to fight back. Yeah, she lost her kid. And that kind of starts. So once the first person dies, that kind of starts the unraveling of the group. Yeah. When they first, yeah, they first see the. Oh, so you should probably explain the video. Find the pretty... body
1: with <laughs> we find a video. Where. They cut open a dude, and in his insides, they're moving around like a fucking... There's
0: like eels or
1: something. Yeah, some nasty eel shit. And then they find his body, which has basically turned into been ripped apart by a fungus, in a sense. Yeah. It looks like it just exploded from growth.
0: You get the skin and stuff, like, from a visual standpoint, this thing is nightmarish. It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy, and that kind of spirals the group and kind of unhinges most people. Once they see it. Yeah, they get a little confused. Because <laughs> the two the, the thing is that body time is different in this place and so they don't have any rem like judging by the video and just assuming how the husband's because that's the husband's group, it's somewhere between a you know, anywhere from six months to a year since that body has been there, but yet it looks like it's been there. <laughs> they said
1: that they were gone. Her husband was gone for a year. Yeah. So they could have been there that long. Who knows how long that dude was dead. Right, yeah. But And they were there for four months, but it felt like days. So time's all fucked up in there, so it's confusing. But I think that the girl... So they're confused about whether or not you go crazy and you kill each other or... Oh, yeah, there was two rumors. That was what it was. It was either they go crazy and kill each other or something in there kills them. Kind of ends up being both. In fact, I'd say that going crazy is what gets them killed by something. Mm -hmm. So the girl uh, that's—I forget her deal. She basically decides that everybody else is lying to her, and she can't trust anyone. Yeah. And she starts spiraling out of control, wondering— how you can trust anyone, how you can do anything. Wow, wow, who's lying? What's this? What's that? And then she hears the voice of the woman that already died screaming for help. So she runs out after having tied up the three remaining characters. She runs out to get her. And then immediately gets attacked by a decayed bear fucking creature that mimics the voice of the thing that it killed.
0: Yeah, every time it yells, it sounds like a scream of pain. From the character that like
1: screams, "Help me!" and shit.
0: It's freaking
1: terrifying. Yeah, it's pretty fucking creepy. But that was the first touch with the idea that it's a psychological reflection on the characters, how they die. Because she goes unhinged and starts overreacting to the situation.
0: And she's—it's not an
1: accident that the thing that killed her is a thing that only attacks when
0: you react to it. Yes.
1: So it's almost like her own panic, her own anxiety, her own whatever is what kills her. It's like a
0: self-destruct, almost.
1: Yeah. So it's like, she can't cope with the situation, and then falls apart, and that's what kills her.
0: Yeah. And just the, like the tension of that scene, too, because after she gets killed by the zombie bear— <laughs> This thing is inside of a room that's probably, I don't even know, eight by eight. And three people are tied to a chair.
1: And this fucking screaming bear beast.
0: is, Is inside, in front of your face. And the only thing you can do to survive right now is to keep your shit together. Yeah. It was one of the most intense scenes I've seen in a movie in a very long time.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty fucking good scene. It's freaky. It's like just freaky enough. It's like, oh. They
0: pushed it to the very edge of of what they could have done with that scene. That's what I
1: see, that I thought was a real like horror movie moment. Oh, for sure. It's not the same thing as so many horror movies, all they fucking do is make something as grotesque as they can and then they just have it do grotesque things, and that's supposed to scare you. It's not scary, it's just grody. So that's nasty. Like, why are you showing me dude's intestines flying everywhere and stuff? That's not terrifying. That's just gross. But this was like, the tension was high. It's creepy. It's It's unnerving. It's strange. It's not overt and gory. It's nothing like that. It's just weird.
0: It's just uncomfortable. It was definitely one of the strangest scenes. I want to say visceral, too. Because it goes from like this intense action scene. It starts out with the screams, and then she's that like, oh, glimmer of hope, and then silence.
1: Yeah, and you hear the like roar. Yeah, that happens to.
0: <laughs> and then it walks in, and you're like, "Oh shit!" But, like, it's what kind of? Oh my god, everything's falling apart. And then it kind of like culminates to this moment, and then all of a sudden it's quiet. And they're like helpless to it, so I almost wonder if yeah.
1: a representation of terror. Yeah, that's a good idea. Like they can't, you can't run away from it. Like being trapped within your own mind. If we're yeah. going with that psychological lens, and the only, and it's just not letting it draw reaction out from you.
0: Yeah, because if you entertain those negative thoughts or emotions, you it's like feeding the fire. Yeah, and then you and you get wrapped into it, and then that's what ultimately destroys you
1: yeah it's a spiral yeah that's, oh god this is really freaking me out oh my god self-sabotage now I'm terrified and now i've reacted and that reaction now amplifies my terror which then gives me to react that amplifies my terror Then i react and i amplify the terror it just that's what panic is like i've watched people panic before or like over or freak out there's a really fucking good example you can find online of there's a video of a bunch of High school kids, they were doing a like police class for mm-hmm. the, in their high school. And they had the option, so they could volunteer to do this, get pepper sprayed.
0: Really? Yes. It Which is like really a, rare for a high school. Wouldn't I recommend
1: No, neither would I. So they all line up. There's probably like a good like twenty of them or something that did it a solid them out. And they start going down, and they pepper spray everybody in the line. And everyone's fine at first. That's what needs to be noted. And people are grimacing like it's painful, and you can tell. But then one chick freaks out. Mm. She starts screaming and pounding her feet. And the second she does that, you can watch the panic reverberate out from her. So the people closest to her start freaking out, and then just moves down the line. Whoa. It's like a panic is contagious. That's exactly what it is. I watched it <laughs> happen in the Marine Corps. It, when we get gassed, it's everybody's just like bearing with it. And then one fucker freaks out. And it's like everyone gets permission to freak out. It's the exact thing. So it's that's why stoic, like stoic philosophy pushed in the Marine Corps for how you should behave. Like holding your bearing is a
0: huge well, fucking issue. Because like, you, you know that when you react to negative emotion... And this is not to say being stoic is you're always there, stone faced or whatever, not feeling anything. It's different. It's feeling the emotion and recognizing it for what it is and then letting it go and not giving its time. Because it's one of those things that's really misconstrued as stoic, is where. Yeah, it's like this unflinching, unreacting. Yeah. Yeah. I have a book that right I write there. It's,
2: it's a almost really like good
1: example of that's what it is. That's what that scene is, is panic incarnate like terror itself and that one girl just can't handle it and in the face of death symbolic or otherwise she panics and that's what speeds up her dying yeah that's what does her in so I, i think that same thought about that the characters die in the way that's most appropriate for them definitely is
0: exactly it So then moving on from that scene, we have... So before this, you'd see... We saw these really interesting, like, leaf leaf shadows people. Is it a good way? They're plants
1: that have taken on the shape of people. Yes. And they have flowers. They look really pretty or whatever, but they're shaped like people walking and holding hands and And they're, like,
0: children and adult size. Like, it's really surreal. Yeah, (laughs) it's strange. And so... After the scene of the, the bear attack and they, they survived that somehow, one of the people is like, you, she was talking to Lena and she goes, you want to face this thing. And the psychologist, her name was Dr. Ventress. She wants to just get to the end. Yeah. But, but I don't think that's the only way you like. What about we just, I think she said, I don't want either of those options, I think is what she said. And she walks off and you can see, so the, the cool symbolism here, at least from the character's perspective, is you see she has her jacket off for the first time. So for the entire movie, she had long sleeves on. And someone had mentioned previous to this that on her arms, there's scars all the way up and, up and down it from how she cuts herself. And this goes to the to what the Shimmer is doing to each and every one of them is that each and one of her scars is now sprouting little leaves. And so she starts walking away to a clearing and you miss her. And all of a sudden she's gone and she's just become, at least it's implied, one of these leaf flower statues.
1: And just one more member of the rest of them. And I thought that initially I thought that's her finally coming to terms with dying in a sense and like resigning to do it. Like, she was suicidal, and she just wanted to be done with it. So, like, when she got to that point, she just was done yeah, and I've... faded away into the world. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm not sure if that's correct is because they mentioned earlier that she f- caught herself not to kill herself, but to try to feel more alive. So, maybe it's still that dynamic. Maybe she is still resigning to death, but it's like she's done... Fighting for a reason to go on, I th- or finding t- or chase- she's done even looking for a reason to try. Yeah, to I think
0: I think she's done cha- like chasing that cheap thrill of just is this like a sight, like a thought experiment of like how many times do you have to cut yourself to be that's just that's, that's a small that you only get that boost for how many seconds you know what I mean to feel alive.
1: Yeah, and she just it was like she just was no longer interested in chasing. In- a hopeless and dream. looking for a reason to feel alive, cutting herself, mm-hmm. or going into the shimmer, which was a risk in itself. It was probably the ultimate thrill to feel alive. Except more pain. And then was just like, I'm done. I'm done. And then turns just...
0: And just honestly, probably
1: took the painless route compared to the... The most painless route, literally. Yeah. Compared to the rest of them. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I mean. Like, <laughs> I mean, one girl got fucking eaten. Yeah. <laughs> Two girls got eaten. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty good—actually, that's something interesting, too, is neither girl—I'm actually wrong. Neither girl got eaten. Both girls had their throat ripped out. So this beast that kills them doesn't actually consume them. It just rips them apart. It's— I don't know if that's symbolically relevant or not, but it's interesting that— It didn't do anything for it? Yeah, it wasn't getting anything from it wasn't right. doing it for sustenance.
0: No, it was like
1: it's like almost like a response mechanism. I wonder if it, I'll put that to the side because we're going to hit the same topic when we Yeah, do. I know. The same thing. <laughs> we're going to hit the same idea when we get to the end. So after that happens, it moves on.
0: It picks up speed. Yeah, cuz sure.
1: Yeah, the one girl, so the psychologist, Ventress goes to the lighthouse on her own,
0: and she's there. Who knows how much further ahead she is? Then there's really not no sense of time at this point. <laughs>
1: yeah, days, weeks, who knows? And Lena falls behind her and finds the finds the lighthouse. Finds crystallized trees all around it.
0: Yeah. So we, what we notice here too is that as you get closer to this epicenter, which is the lighthouse in the beginning of the story, like a meteor hit this lighthouse and that's where all of this is emanating from. And as you get closer, the changes are less natural, like more fragmented, more crystalline and accentuated, I guess. They use a metaphor of
1: refractory.
0: Yeah, they use refractory, but not in the sense of just light like most of us are used to thinking of it. But a refractory in the sense of everything, like DNA so, and, like, from a biological standpoint, and just...
1: Yeah, that's the mechanism by which they explain the strange going on.
0: Yeah. Going on. They, they call it a refraction of, like, DNA and stuff and...
1: Like, literally everything.
0: Yeah. Like, everything's but intermingling.
1: I think that the fact that the trees are crystalline a reflection of their refraction. Like, that yeah. same theme being put literally, that you have prisms all constructing these trees at the center of this
0: thing. Because those aren't even... They're not even based off of organic material at that point. They're just there.
1: Yeah, they're literally... And what does a prism
0: do? Refracts light. So... (laughs) Think of the Pink Floyd album cover.
1: Right, it's that, (laughs) but trees. Yeah. It's trippy, man. Bro. Like the whole fucking movie is. (laughs) I
0: know, it really is. But then once she gets inside the lighthouse, you see a video camera... And this video camera is pointed at a skeleton that is now blackened by some sort of fire. It looks like it spontaneously combusted. Yeah, that's a good description of it. And you're like, what the heck happened here? Because it doesn't look like something good happened. (laughs) Nope. And so she plays this video and what it winds up being is that her husband is there and he's talking to the camera. And you're like... Okay, so he just committed suicide. Well, say what he does, and well, doesn't he say something well, about burning away? He, yeah. So he is the skeleton
1: that's combusted. Right. He took a phosphorus grenade and says that he's not himself anymore. That his mind is fractured. He's all falling apart.
0: Yeah. And he wasn't strong. Did you see something like not being strong enough? I don't remember. I can't remember exactly his words at this point. But then he pulls the the pin. And lights himself
1: on fire in the pose of, this is some nice visual imagery. Another point of the symbolism, or at least a homage to the uh, Tibetan monk that. Lit yeah, he was sitting cross-legged,
0: sitting in against the wall. Yeah,
1: he was also. Look, do you see what he's doing with his hands? Were they like in his lap? Right, they were in his lap, and they were held like with one cupping the grenade and one on the side of the grenade. So he looked like he was doing the Buddha symbol. Oh, really? So he looked like he was doing like the one finger down. Kind of like, like letting go. He's piece. doing the meditation like prayer yeah. thing that Buddha does. So Buddha, I forget what he does. It's
0: there. like one hand across the belly and one hand up.
1: Yeah. So he's doing that, but the idea is that it's implied that the grenade was in his hand, but it looks like he was meditating.
0: Plus too, if you look at it from like that, the, the silhouette of the burn mark around him, it's like that holy aura around yeah, like like the halo. But then the, the, the surreal part here is that, off camera as after the body is starting to finish its burn, another like version of him steps into view with slick back hair. Cleaned up. Yeah, no like he his hair isn't unkept, his beard is not there anymore, and he looks in the camera and then she closes it. And you're like, what the heck? I almost wonder if him appearing
1: isn't And the fact that he was in that monk position, that it's a symbolic transcendence of death, but in a different way than she does. Yeah. Even if it's symbolic death. It's that in accepting... It's it's the
0: type of death that they needed to happen. Like, he (laughs) was
1: so broken up that he needed to just let that all die off. Mm -hmm. He needed to die off, literally in the movie, but symbolic, really, so that
0: the new version of him can appear. The new him can live. It's like the new him. So in the beginning of the story, you see that same version of him, but he's like learning everything again. Yeah. Because I think he asked her a question of who am I? Yeah. And he he said said that that. he only recognizes her face and all. He's
1: very, he doesn't remember much of anything. So I think that his death is the symbolic transcendence of... the pain. So maybe it is a story about their coming to terms with the end of their relationship, not just her coming to terms. Because he dies, but he dies and is reborn again. In the same, in a similar, well, not the not the exact mechanism. And it's
0: yeah, like you said, they it's like the they had to find the shadow or the thing that was right driving them apart to be able to, to address the shadow. And maybe it's that. His shadow,
1: that his part that he needed to address and incorporate was his inability to function. He said he's fractured. He's in multiple places. He's literally in multiple places in the story. Yeah. Because he's at home sometimes or he's deployed
0: sometimes. And he's and so he's he not lives. committed to one state. He lives two different lives. Yeah. And then when he left for this trip... He didn't tell her either. Yeah, he got not tell her where he got, deployed, go. and he got deployed one day early when they had a plan to spend a day together and stuff. And he's like, nope, gotta go. Yep. See you later, bye. He doesn't even say anything. And she says, I love you. And he's like, nope. He's just like, I gotta leave. Can't feel anything. It was another part of it is he can't feel either. Like a lack of emotion. Oh, it's upstairs.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's clear that like he just can't balance
0: their yeah, he's a found a about- balance. Ooh, that monk pose makes a lot more sense though because oh, that it's he a- finds balance achieving then. balance. I like that.
1: <laughs> I wonder if that works. So I think that he's having his addressing death. And this is for those that don't know, this is this is why I say that the whole story is union. So Carl Jung was a psychologist in the early nineteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds, something like that. Probably in the early nineteen hundreds, after Freud. A pupil of Freud's. Who analyzed stories and and mythologies and religious stories and definitely dreams. And believed that there was a common structure in every individual psyche that exists in everyone else's psyche. And he called that the collective unconscious. So it's this idea that. Everybody has an underlying unconscious way of thinking that exists across the whole species, and that's that collective unconscious ends up being expressed in our stories. That's why
0: you can find themes across thousands of years that and multiple
1: cultures that are
0: isolated from
1: each other. So if you look at like Japanese mythology and you look at Norwegian, what do you, you call it? Like That kind of like Thor versus like the, yeah, commies in Japan. They have similar storylines. And the same similar with the Greeks, too. Like all these different mythologies have very similar story structures. And that that is actually a product of the structure of our minds. Now, I don't think, I don't know. I won't say I don't think, I just don't know if Freud or excuse me, if Jung actually thought of it as a physical neurological structure that existed and how developed neurology. So he has one of the basic structures. There's these things called archetypes. And though there are, so I have to differentiate this because this has caused problems for me in conversations with my sister, where I think people misunderstand what archetype means in this context. So you think of an archetype, as, like, a character in a story, like the hero and this and whatever. And though that's similar, it also is more technical in the unions. The Just, common parlance by, of by archetypes the, Well, by now. the Joseph Campbellian yeah. structure of archetypes. Who Joseph Campbell got pretty much all of his work from you. He basically took it all from
0: Yeah. Him. But it has been pop-culturized from him to have a less nuanced structure.
1: <laughs> yeah. So... When I say archetype, I'm trying to be more technical than just the common thinking of it. It's more like an element of the human personality that has occurred across multiple millennium Mm -hmm. that is distilled and then expressed in story. And it's
0: not to say that you're only one archetype either. It's to say that... Okay, so every person would be all archetypes. Right, yeah. It's just which one manifests more in you. Which one's most prevalent. Yes.
1: But in a story, since... Here's a way of thinking about that I think works really well is one person is writing the story. Yes. So in the same way that dreams are had by one person, you don't actually dream about anybody. You don't talk to your mother in a dream. Talk to your boyfriend or girlfriend. You have like events that happen to you. You're talking to yourself. Oh. You're in the dream. Only you is producing that. These dreams and everyone in it is a product of the same psyche that's producing the you in that dream. So, what's happening in a story is that each character is a portion of the individual who's creating the story. It's an exploration of self. It's sub personality. Exactly. (laughs) And the most complex minds that write stories are, it's just that each sub personality is hyper developed. So, they're so developed that they're, 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 On paper, they're their own individual person, but they're all still the person that wrote it. It's not like he didn't write any of the other characters and he brought other people in to write those characters and he just responded. It's not a
0: dialogue between two different people. It's a
1: dialogue within himself.
0: And it's it's every time you write a story with these fragmented personalities, you're like living out. What if I was like this in real life?
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. (laughs) So we'll take the information processing theory, which looks at your brain as a computer. So now this isn't technically the information processing theory, but it looks at it like input-output. Right. Real straightforward. Analytical. Really analytical. Now, if I'm going to take that to a metaphorical sense and break away from the proper theory, really, but you can look at your brain as a computer. And what your computer is doing when it's going through these different personalities— is it's running simulations. So when you're having a dream about talking with someone, it's running a simulation about how you think the symbol of the person that you're interacting with will interact with you, yourself. We make mental representations. And when we're talking about relationships, it's called the internal working model. And that's the bond between two individuals that develops. But it's the internal representation of that bond. It's how you see your relationship. Yep. So you're working out your internal working model within your own psyche. And what is happening in a story is it's not just happening within your own mind. It's happening in a place where you can present (laughs) it to the world.
0: That's a perfect segue into what happens in the final scenes of the movie.
1: Right. So she... So what an archetype is, let me tie this end off. Is So what an archetype is, the common sub-personalities with, that are in your psyche that everybody else shares. the common ways of thinking. Maybe it's the part of yourself that you don't like, right? It's the dangerous, impulsive, aggressive. It's the id. It's the Freudian id or yeah, to, properly to in the union it. context is the shadow. It's the part of you you don't want to really address. The part you hide and stamp down. and It's the dangerous part. Yeah. But properly incorporated, Jung thinks, it can be used as the fuel in the right situation. Like gasoline and fire is dangerous, but it also lets you drive a car. Yes. So you have to know how to incorporate it and use it properly, but understand that it's dangerous. And you can't actually use it until you understand it. Mm -hmm. so that's like an idea of the shadow so what she the final scene is her lena facing her shadow and the elements of her that's what going deep down is that's what going down is into the dark hole is the deepest darkest part of her psyche that she doesn't want to address it's dark because it's unknown Mm -hmm. you can't see it exactly so you go there. And it's weird inside there, too. Oh, like it's super weird. It's hyper refractory.
0: Yeah, like even more. And it almost has a funhouse quality where when you it's like this chamber. But when you look in every direction except to where you came from, it feels like it goes on forever and everything is moving. and Yeah. And it's all slightly. It almost looks
1: like gas and water with the rainbow glow in there yeah there's, like there's everything's oil. moving
0: and oily and you can't pin it down really
1: yeah it's strange but it just feels weird it almost looks like a brain
0: yeah it did it had like a structure it looked like it was random but
1: purposeful at the same time like tubes it looks like it almost looks like you're inside of a brain which is I won't say purpose. (laughs) I don't know if it's intentional. I would almost think that unless this is a very, especially meta story, which I don't know that would require not meaning that the story is exactly meta, more like it's meta because the people that created it understood what they were. They're conscious of the things I'm talking about. Mm hmm and then put in a brain in order to be intentionally symbolic for being within her brain. Or it could be that they had an implicit connection within their own minds that then expressed itself in the artwork. That's hard to tell. Yeah. But
0: that's a lot of layers to that one. I deal.
1: I, I'll literally never know. <laughs> You'll never know unless you're able, unless <laughs> I'm able question. to talk to these people. So yeah. she's inside of the deepest part of her mind where she's, Sees where somebody else. What happens if somebody who isn't prepared goes? So the psychologist is there, is in the deepest part of
0: it. Wasn't she like looking at her from the opposite direction? She was like transformed. Right.
1: And the psychologist doesn't have any eyes. Yeah, so she's blind to what's going on around her, and she is rambling. Not really. Yeah, here, I don't remember here, what she was there. saying. I don't- she says that she names the title card. She says it's all annihilation, that she comes to a, oh, right. a realization of what it is, that it's this- For her, it's annihilation. Eating, growing, heartless thing that moves forward, consuming, and it's- a just Consuming all- and- all is, It's all annihilation, mm-hmm. which I find, which I didn't quite catch up on this until recently, but the root word of annihilation is nihil as in nihilism huh I didn't even think about that so I almost wonder if the development of that word is like nihil is got to mean like nothing I don't know for sure we can look it's like a belief in- like nihilism is a philosophy of meaninglessness yeah. it's that nothing matters basically nothing ever matters so life death murder suicide nothing matters like you could do the most beautiful you could be the most perfect person in the world doesn't matter you could be a saint doesn't matter you could even do good things because you're saint, and good is just relative, so it doesn't actually matter. So it's really depressing Very. philosophy. But you get a sense of what annihilation is. Is it this coming to nothingness? Yeah, look up annihilation and see if it'll give you just root words. Because usually Google is really good about it, tracking the development of the word. Like it'll give you like Greek comes from this, which is pretty cool. He, the psychologist says that it's annihilation, that it's just nothingness, which is probably her perspective on death, right, and cancer, because she, the psychologist has cancer. And she, her grand realization at the end of it all is that this thing is going to consume and kill her, and she just falls into nihilism. Which is
0: yeah, <laughs> fantastic.
1: Because oh, language is so interesting. Because that's the fact that she falls into nihilism, it's not a coincidence that we call it nihilism and that she calls it annihilation. Because they're the same root words that they're coming from. Which is that this meaningless destruction, this nothingness. So she sees that some people, when they go to the bottom of it, that the conclusion that they make when addressing their inevitable death, their mortality, is that it's all this just meaningless. And that's the conclusion
0: that the psychologist comes to. There's the origin. A little hard to, to follow. Whoa. I was right. I fucking nailed it.
1: Oh, <laughs> dude. Knee hill means nothing.
0: <laughs> Destroying or bring to nothing. Reduced to utter ruin or non existence. Which kind of makes sense because you can lose yourself and become nothing within the shimmer. It's a belief of nothingness. So she turned here. So what happens to her
1: is that. She, oh my God,
0: and then she literally becomes nothing. She becomes nothing. <laughs> she rips. She dissolves. Yeah, She's ripped apart. And it's like pure energy just floating in an orb that is like something out of a
1: dubstep concept. She concert. just dissolves. <laughs> Disintegrates. She's no longer integrated. She is apart. She is in many pieces and becomes nothingness. Becomes just visually stunning, crazy, rotating ball of light thing. Really, I'm underselling this. (laughs) Like, seriously.
0: (laughs) You have to see the movie to like the full scope of what before you at this point in the movie. And when Lena stares into this thing, (laughs) when she
1: stares into the nothingness, not only does it, in a Nietzschean sense, stare back. Ooh. But That's creepy. That's what he said. I know. <laughs> Friedrich Nietzsche said that when he stared into the abyss, he found that the abyss stared back into him. Which is what happens to and it then shows her her an element of herself that she doesn't want to face. It literally turns into a shadow being thing. It's like a mannequin made out of that weird it looks It's like metal, substance. almost. It's really—it's it, fucking weird. But it's always reflecting rainbow a little. Yeah. Which I think is playing back to that refractory idea again. And we're still
0: underselling this, by the way. Because through this whole time, it's a very tense and surreal— It's just weird.
1: She first reacts— Defensively and aggressively. Defensively aggressively
0: attacks it. And it hits her back and knocks her the fuck out. It's a, since it's a shadow form of you, too, it's technically stronger than you. It's from, Even from a psychological standpoint. In a
1: psychological sense, you'd almost say it's more dangerous than you. Yeah. Like, unbridled aggression is far more violent than you without any aggression. Which makes sense, you know what I mean? Like, it's capable of more dangerous things. So knocks her out. Then she comes to... And it it mimics everything she does. She tries to run away, and and then it runs with her and presses up against the door with her so she can't get out. And she tries to fight it and tries to fight... It returns the pressure until she collapses, and then it collapses with her. So it mimics everything that she's doing, which is to reiterate that this is a thing that is herself. This is an element of her. And then... In facing it, she ends up no longer fighting it. And she's able to get away by facing it, holding its hand, which is like a sign of comfort, like coming to terms. I mean, it's exactly... It's a tender (laughs) mark of acceptance that she displays to this thing.
0: And visually,
1: it's really important here. It turns into her. It looks exactly like her. As soon as they touch hands. As soon as she. As soon as she
0: accepts it, it then becomes really her. And as she breaks the physical contact, it stops looking like. Her. She hands it a. One of the grenades. One of the phosphorus grenades that she
1: snags from a bag left over. Places it tenderly in the hand, pulls the pin, and bails the fuck out, and that motherfucker lights up fire. Yes. So she's burning off the part of herself that she didn't want to address. So it's a process of, speaking psychologically, she goes to the place in her psyche she doesn't want to go to face the thing that she doesn't want to face and eventually accept it and then let it go. Yep.
0: It's really deep.
1: And I (laughs) think that's the... Relas- the thing that she's letting go of the character is... Her guilt and shame. And her overall relationship that's failed with her husband. Yeah. Shame, guilt, confusion about why it failed, how it failed, how she cheated on her husband, all this
0: stuff. And this goes to the final scene, too, where they finally see each other after all of this. And it's like, they fir- it's like the first time they actually looked at each other... And just shared a moment together. Yeah. That wasn't
1: loaded with. One scene in the beginning, it was a harken back to what the relationship.
0: Yeah. From the made. beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But that seemed more like a past memory.
1: Not yeah. It's not present.
0: Yeah. Like this the first present moment of tenderness and caring. I wouldn't
1: call it love. Yeah. And that's what's interesting is that it's like when she finally meets her husband again, who is not dying anymore. And not the same man that died in the fire. Yeah. It's not the man that burnt himself off. So he, his journey is like a recognizing of his own fractured self, burning that off, and becoming a new man entirely. And her story is facing the part that she can't let go of in the relationship, which is – and then letting go of the relationship itself and being okay with that. So when she, they address each other as new and, or changed people – they they don't like tenderly kiss romantic. Let's ride off in the sunset. No, they embrace each other. She even says, "You're not him. You're not the same guy." And he goes, "No, I don't think I am." And I think on the surface that comes off as creepy. Yeah, again, this is why you have to be really creative to. In, I don't want you know what I mean. Be thinking creatively when you're you, doing this. You have to you think in different layers to understand. You got to like, think symbolically because yeah. this isn't a literal movie exactly. So. She, they embrace each other, but it's like a tender. It almost feels like it's been a long time since I've seen you. It's like the first time I've, it's hanging like saying, I see you. And in that moment, both of their eyes begin to shimmer. What the creature looked like. They get rainbow glows of shifting around color their, iris, their it's, iris.
0: It's really, it, it leaves you unsettled and all that at the same time, questioning what even happened at the (laughs) and that i think
1: is showing that both of those characters are have internalized their experience and grown past who they were at the beginning of the story absolutely and that they've and their embrace is a reflection of their coming to peace with where they are it, it's almost like an allegory for divorce. Yeah. One giant allegory for the painful divorce where both people get why it happened. Plus two, they're the only two people to come out of it. Can you look up if – see if the author of the book was going through a divorce when he wrote it. I fucking mm-hmm. – I bet that dude was they had a bad relationship, go to shit, or went through divorce – or something like that, that this is a giant allegory for getting over a good, but failed relationship that we could understand why it failed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a long distance relationship, like maybe it was really good at first. And for a long time, you were trying to make it work. And then eventually it just fell apart. And it's just because you're 1600 miles away, and you can't manage it. And it's not like it's anybody's fault.
0: It just, you just can't do it. According to Wikipedia, it says he actually married someone in 2003. When did he write the book? 2014. Came out. So he's been married. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe, hmm. He does does say, though, when he was 20, he read Angela Carter's novel, novel, The Infernal Desire Machines of Dr. Hoffman, which he said blew the back of my head off and rewired my brain. Such passion and boldness it inspired everything going forward it says, huh I wonder what they, I don't know anything about I don't know anything book. about the book too, but I feel like it's
1: I could be wrong, but it would make sense to me. I don't know how you could write a story about the themes we're talking about without having gone through without something. referencing it some way without having been in a failed relationship mm-hmm. that's really intense without having been in, through a divorce without having. Maybe it was a relationship where somebody cheated. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's interesting. Because you can't write about what you don't know. Definitely.
0: Yeah. It would take some crazy looking into yourself to
1: figure out. Even that, again, this is the same concept I was talking about earlier, that a book is just a reflection of your own psyche. There's, I think it was Nietzsche also, that said the philosophy is the unconscious admission of the philosopher okay that every philosopher is really saying more about themselves than they are the world everything else, everything winds up becoming an exploration of the self over it's cuz well part of it's just to put it really simply is you're showing
0: your perspective right and your perspective is reliant on you you can only talk about you can only talk about with your own perspective with any degree of clarity slash cuz you
1: can't actually take someone's perspective literally you can't literally take someone's perspective. You can't turn into them and view all the nuances and all the things. All you things can do you is look at it from your own perspective.
0: It's an interesting concept, and something it, we can definitely build on more yeah. and further. Well, you can't escape your own perception is what it comes down That's to. That's interesting. So, with that, this movie has layers. And a lot of them. A fuckload of them. And Joe could probably be here for another three hours. Probably. Just Maybe. I'd get tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But if you had two more time, you'd be I'm doing... Probably gonna, I might go watch this again. I don't know. It, it seems watch, definitely
2: easy to go watch again.
1: You know what I mean? It's just so out there. I'd be like, huh. I'd really like to be able to like go with people that have opinions on it so we can watch it and then talk about it again.
0: Yeah. I want to see if there's anyone else around... And for all of you on social media and things, hit us up. You wanna plug something? Yeah, do plug it. Go for what it. What do we got? Let's see. So you can go to
1: bropod.net. I can give it I can send this one so you can co-release it we can co-release we can co-release the last one too yeah i can will. send that one too you. you can put it up you've got the login oh i do have it probably co-release these bro pod's got some old articles that i've written um yeah since joe's more into the psychology stuff i've changed a lot of my mind and some stuff that i wrote back then but it's if you want to give an opinion that's fine i'm totally open to new perspectives there's also the bro pod podcast which is another example of things his mind has been changed and blah blah but the podcast is up there if you look like something similar to this a little more laid back, and there's a lot more just joking podcasts where we're just fucking around.
0: Yeah, more open-ended discussion types. Definitely. So you
1: can check that out. If, let's see, so my Twitter, you can follow me if you want. I don't think it's public right now. I don't mind. I'll probably, I don't think there's anyone i have denied from a follow
0: and personally, I think, is if you already have your name on there, you don't really have anything to worry about. <laughs> yeah.
1: Joe Jukowski, J-A-C-K-O-W-S-K-I. That's my Twitter handle. And that's pretty much it. That's really the only social media I'm really on.
0: Yep. And if you follow any of my stuff, I'm Eric Wenzel, E-R-I-C-H-W-E-N-Z-E-L, both on Twitter. And that is my website. So if you just type in Eric Wenzel, it'll probably come up anywhere across there. And everything's linked left run right, sideways. You'll find it. I believe in you people. I believe (laughs) (laughs) believe in the power of the internet. And with that, everybody, this was fun. We'll probably do something similar to these going forward. I'm so down to analyze movie
1: podcasts. If you guys are interested in like film analysis, if you're interested in story stuff. Story analysis. There's a relatively new YouTube channel called Screen Prism that is fucking great. Like I can't shameless plug. Dude, it's. I wish I was involved with these people. They're fucking. Genius. I'll look them up. I'll put a link in the show notes. They're really For fucking all you good. Pimples. Um, they're. I wonder if they don't have a union thing going on. Really? Like, did they have some or, or at least they've definitely read. They have had to have read Joseph Campbell.
0: It There's wouldn't a, surprise me because Joseph
1: Campbell seems to be pretty prevalent. More right now. prevalent in that sphere. So it's great. Check it out. Totally recommend it. Go watch the movie too. And definitely watch the movie.
2: <laughs> See you later, Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. And I really just want to make this podcast the best podcast you listen to. Meaning, if there's anything that you really enjoyed or any feedback for us, I would love for you to reach out on the social medias. You can find Feeding Curiosity across LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram in the usual places just by searching Feeding Curiosity. You can also send us an email or a message through the website. You can also support the work that we're doing here, including the podcast and all other content that we produce at Feeding Curiosity by either going to anchor.fm slash feedingcuriosity slash support, or you can head over to the website and hit the support button and support us directly there as well. By supporting the podcast, you effectively keep us from having to deal with sponsorship and keeping the relationship that me and you, the listener, have as honest and open as possible. As for me, I take the idea of selling products and or sponsoring products very, very serious. Honestly, I just want to provide access to information to as many people as possible with as little of a barrier of entry as possible. At the very least, If you want to do anything to support the podcast, leave a review on the platform of choosing to subscribe, like, rate it, all that. It helps out a ton. Again, thank you all for listening, and I hope you join in on the next episode.